with with football, um, you watch film, right? After a game, after practice, you watch film and analyze your performance to figure out what it is that you can do better to get better results the next time. So I do the same thing when it comes to when I fail and stuff, um, business-wise. I go back and figure out, okay, what is it I could have done better to get yield a better result? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Real Marketers Podcast. In today's episode, we speak with Elliot Hoyt. Elliot is an elite agent ranked in the top 1% of realtors in the Treasure Valley and nationally recognized as a recipient of the most prestigious award in the industry for young professionals, the National Association of Realtors 30 Under 30. A native of Plymouth, England, he moved to Boise to attend college, where he was a championship-winning defensive lineman for the Boise State Broncos. Having played at the highest level in front of a packed 80,000-person stadium, Elliot attributes much of his approach, an unrivaled work ethic, pursuit of excellence, a tenacious attitude, and results-driven business success to his former athletic endeavors. Now, only 29 years of age, he is a broker-slash-owner of the Hoyt Group, a premium Idaho real estate brokerage. In this episode, he'll share some words of wisdom previously known only to the players and coaching staff of one of the top 25 NCAA football teams in the country, as well as how he embodies those lessons every day to find success in real estate. I'm Oliver Bohr, and this is the Real Marketers Podcast. Tell us your story. How did you get to where you're at right now? What did you go through? And just, just give us the whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my name is Elliot Hoyt. Uh, I was born and raised in a small town called Tavistock in England, um, which Oliver himself is somewhat familiar with, the old motherland. Um, and I moved, I moved to... Uh, to Boise, Idaho at the age of 18 to play football for the Boise State Broncos. Um, I, I never played high school football, uh, but I played club football in England. And club football is much like rugby is probably in both uh, Canada and America. People kind of know it's played, but no one really watches it or knows much about it. So that's how to explain football. So never played high school football. I was not much smaller than I am now as a 30-year-old grown male, as a 16, 17-year-old. So I went out to the Boise State camp. Uh, through a, a kind of loose connection and they uh they said hey do you want to come and play football for us and uh i was kind of like yeah i, I guess so i mean scholarship free school <laughs> i got nothing to do the next four years so uh, so why not so yeah in 2012 following that that summer of 2011 that came up the camp 2012 in january i enrolled in school and joined the football team and i went from being a big submission sorry a big fish in a very small pond playing club football in england to being on a, a top 25 division one team, having never played really proper organized football that way. Um, and it was, a, it was a big learning curve. I went from, I came in as a freshman at 18, as a six string, had to learn the game pretty much from the ground up. Um, I'm playing against some of the best, uh, you know, guys um, still currently NFL right now. I was playing against them, training with them um, in practice. And I had can to you, learn very, very quickly. Can you drop any names? Like anybody that you yeah. played? Yeah, so uh, Demarcus Lawrence plays for the Dallas Cowboys. He was on my team. I uh, played with him. Leighton Van Der Esch also plays for the Cowboys. Um, Cedric Wilson did play for the Cowboys. He now just signed a, a long-term deal with the Miami Dolphins. I played against Josh Allen. I played against um, Taysom Hill. Uh, I played against Devontae Adams. I mean, there's, there's big names out there that you know of. You won't, most people won't know who I am, but I've played against some of the Probably some future Hall of Famers, probably one day, which is kind of cool to say. So yeah, I came in. Allen also. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's nuts, man. It's uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that that was some of these guys. 
they were good that I played against, but I didn't know they'd end up being as good as they are. So it's kind of a Can cool story. Just to kind know. of jump in there, because yeah. when you're playing, like one of the things that always fascinates me is the journey of somebody who's starting out and sort of where they end up. So if you saw, for example, Gary Vaynerchuk, like 15 years ago when this guy's posting up on Wine Library and nobody cares, you think he's like crazy, like where like where do you think you're going to go with that and then all of a sudden nobody could have first seen where he's at right now when you were playing against guys like josh allen who's like him and and and, uh, and um patrick mahomes are basically in the league of their own of the young quarterbacks in the nfl like when you were playing with him was it like this guy is something else or is it like no he's just a good player but like whatever. so you know you know what's interesting oliver is is actually this is no shade because these guys are in a much better position in life than i am when i played against josh allen he he was good but he wasn't great um which is interesting because you kind of you think oh if these guys get to the nfl they must have been great the whole time and i think actually if anything it's a testament to his work ethic because he obviously had the tools to be successful had a good base and he's obviously improved you know exponentially since the days i played him and he was good though i mean don't get me wrong the, the guy was good he just wasn't great so he's kind of shown hey if you hone your craft and you can become great the one that i'd actually say that was head and shoulders and leagues above anyone I've ever played with was DeMarcus Lawrence. Um, he, he could, the interesting thing is um, he's not necessarily the fastest or strongest guy either. Um, he's not got a massive frame. He's not super strong or super fast. Um, he was the best football player that I ever played with or against that I probably saw in person. Um, he would do things that made no sense. I mean, we would be run, we our defensive coordinator would call blitzes and call packages and he would do the absolute opposite. And he didn't get in trouble because he beat everyone else to it. So normally any regular player is going to make a move. And if they go against what was called, the defense was called, um, you get in trouble because someone blows the coverage. He was so good, he could literally just will the game. He was I could see him will a game on his own. And, and when you see that, you can tell something's different, you know? For sure. So so okay, so 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 now we're at the part where you you moved there at 18 years old, you started the six string um uh lineman, which is just to kind of be clear, because how there are it's going to sound really stupid now. There are five yeah. or six linemen on a field. Yeah, so on defense, depending on the defense scheme you have, there's anywhere from three to four linemen on the defense linemen on the field at the same time. Boise State's defense, at least when I was playing, um, was like a flex 3-4. So you have a guy on the end, like a defensive end, who can stand up too. And I played inside the guy that – I played I played a defensive tackle, defensive end hybrid, basically. So I played on the inside of the guy that would stand up at certain times. So I had, to, I had to play quite a versatile role. But yeah, I came in as a six-string. So to put it in perspective, with there being three to four guys on the field at any given time, there was basically 20 to 22 defensive linemen in the room, pretty much. Uh, right. Sometimes a little bit less, depending on the year. So from a freshman, um, I was six string. And by the end of my career, I was a starter. Um, I started some games as a younger, uh, as an underclassman. Uh, but yeah, as a senior, I started every single game. So I went from not really knowing how to play football, but having physical gifts, obviously, to being, you know, one of the better players on my team in, in that five-year period. Um, so I learned a lot about adversity and I learned a lot about learning stuff very quickly on the fly. Um, Do you ever feel like an imposter? Always. Imposter syndrome. I'm not sure if you – I'm sure you know about imposter syndrome. Yeah. It carries through to me to this day. And I think a lot of that's to do with complacency, right? Because in athletics, you're taught, you know, you're only as good as your last play. You're only as good as your last win, whatever that is to be. I think I see business the same way. So, yeah, I do. Sometimes you kind of feel like I know I'm good at everything. I, well, not everything I do. I'm good at most things I do. But I'm like, some days I wake up and I'm like, yeah, especially with football, it's like, uh, what's the catch here? Like, is this really happening? Am I really this good? So, yeah, I do. I definitely feel that even now today. You know? Yeah. Like as a real estate professional, you feel that imposter syndrome. 
Yeah, you definitely do. And I, I'm always trying to find ways to kind of keep my edge and to kind of uh, think ahead. Because, yeah, I, I, I sometimes wonder if really am I supposed to be here, you know? So being the sixth string player, right? You said there are about 22, let's say at any given time, 22 linemen, basically, that you're competing for the top four positions. And you were a lineman with, like, again, competition is only, let's say, four of those 20, 22 people are going to start. And I'm sure that there were a lot of them that were better than you. I mean, statistically speaking, most of them, I'm sure, were better than you. Like, how do you go from seeing yourself as possibly factually worse than your competition to somehow putting that to the side and being like, I'm going to get the starting job over you? Or is it just you just keep working and all of a sudden it just happens? Like, what's the process there from going from a bench player to a starter? It's a little bit of both. Um, there's a saying that one of the seniors uh, said my freshman year, the days and weeks go slow, but the months and years go fast. And I always kind of saw that as, okay, it's like compound interest, right? It's the same way with your skill set. So don't look too far into the future. It's a snapshot in time. Yeah, you might be a six string right now. You may not be the best in your industry or the best on your team. But if you compound over time and you practice, you can only really get better. It's very hard to get worse in those situations. So I never really looked too far ahead. I was like, yeah, I'm in this six string position right now. But the guys that are ahead of me, especially the, the upperclassmen, they were probably in the same position at some point and they were. So I kind of learned over time to compartmentalize and work on the small things that would get me to where I needed to get to. And that's from an athletic side. And again, that transferred over to business. You can't look at the overall picture too much. You have to look at the the micro view in order to build the stepping box. You need to build your skills up to then become where you want to get to. So there's basically a, a difference of a difference of opinion in terms of the way to kind of achieve your, I don't want to say goals, but, but achieve whatever it is that you want. I guess there will be goals, but the reason I'm not using it is because you got get guys or in books, for example, like, you know, I'm thinking grow rich. They talk about set your, set your goals really high in a book in books, like the one thing by Kara Kalo J. Papasan. They're always talking about kind of setting your, your, 10-year goals, which I actually do really love to do. But then guys like James Clear, uh, and uh, who wrote Atomic Habits, he's always talking about goals are great and everything, but the systems are what kind of get you there. And he's almost saying that, I don't think he's saying anything that you don't need goals, but to the exclusion of goals, it's more important to have systems. So did you set yourself milestones or was it just a day in, day out, grind every day, just show up, do the work and go home kind of thing? So what's really interesting with the football side versus business is in the football side, um, I don't think, I can't remember a time, Oliver, where I actually set a goal, so to speak. I kind of had like, you know, I had grandeur in my head of how things would be. But with when you're in that team aspect and when you're being coached, the coaches actually do the thinking for you in a way. You just kind of do the work. It's almost mindless in a way. You just know that when you show up to do um, like a, a play around practice, there's certain hand skills you're working on in the summer or when you're doing conditioning, there's certain conditioning times you need to hit. Our goals were like microed even into the point where it was like each rep, what was going to be the result in each rep. So interesting. No, I never really actually looked at the overall goals. It was just the work, uh, you know, day in, day out to get better um, from the athletic side. But then when I left football and went into the business world, I didn't have coaches to set the goals for me or to set the tasks for me. I had to learn to do them myself. So that's when it all kind of came full circles after the fact, actually. But because I was used to doing monotonous tasks and the things I didn't want to do over and over again, it made it easy to set the goals because the goals became the fun part, you know? Yeah. Uh, that for me is, is, it's sort of like crazy to think about that. The, 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 I think the upper echelons of any thing, I guess, in life, like if you're going to say the most, elite of anything in life who are they you would say would be like professional athletes because they've so fine-tuned their skills to the point where everybody in the world let's say plays a certain sport but like there's only one Messi, 
right? Everybody plays soccer. There's only one Messi. There's only one Ronaldo. But what's crazy is that you're saying it's almost like mindless to get to there. So if you're looking at it from a business perspective, what is the thing that's really going to take you over the top? Is it the talents? Is it the ability to think? The ability to play chess while everybody else is playing checkers? Like, no, it's the ability to just show up and do the work, which is something that although I kind of know in my heart or in my head or whatever it is, you've done it. You've been there. Yeah, yeah. It's um, there's, there's so many analogies, and they don't always make sense to people that don't necessarily know sports. But for me, um, the one that's helped me stay consistent uh, is, is showing up to the office each day. And it sounds really stupid um, to some people, but when I played football, you had to go to the locker room every day. It didn't matter whether you're lifting weights, whether you're running, whether you're practicing. You always went to the locker room. That was the base in which you set everything up. So for me, my office that I'm sat in right now is the exact same thing. This is where I start my day. And obviously, there's personal things, habits, and lifting and running and things I do outside of the office now just to stay in shape. But my first business part of the day, I get to the office, I check in at the office because I know in my mind, based on my previous habits in my old life, uh, you go to the locker room, that's where everything starts and that's where things finish. So yeah, it's a case of building up these kind of habits and doing these small things that kind of build familiarity and keep you accountable because yeah, showing up and just doing the work is, is half the battle. It's just getting there. A lot of people don't even get there. They get, they get stuck in either in bed, they get stuck at home, they get stuck in a certain area where they allow their mind to wander and start thinking about what could go wrong, what couldn't go right. If you just get there and do the work, there's no question whatever happens, happens, you know? Yeah. So what's the biggest play? Like I know in business, when people talk about like there was a moment that happened when they reached their first million or whatever it is, what was the biggest play or a really big play that you that happened with you that made you realize like, damn, like look at this, look at where I'm at. I think the biggest validation for me was probably getting the, the National Association of Realtors 30 Under 30 award. Um, not to brag and be like, oh, look, I won the award. But it was a validation of, hey, this is a very elite company that you're holding here. And you wouldn't have gotten this award if you weren't worthy of it. And, you know, we talk about imposter syndrome a little bit. When I got that award and I was recognized on a national level, it's like, okay, I think I can do this. Now, it's funny because I'd in my first year, I'd sold uh, almost $10 million of real estate in a nine-month period when the average purchase price was like 300 something K in Boise at the time. So yeah, the numbers themselves, just from a production standpoint, made sense. But having that extrinsic kind of validation that, yeah, you're being recognized on national level definitely helped me understand, okay, I think I'm onto something here because anyone, the majority of guys that uh, guys and girls that made it onto the 30 under 30 list ended up or are doing quite notable things in industry now. Um, you know, running their own brokerages like I've ended up doing or owning other businesses and being very, uh, influential and affluent people. So yeah, that definitely was the biggest moment of validation, I think, or biggest moment was, yeah, I think I belong here, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. So what would you say then are, I don't know, some of, I guess the finest qualities um, that athletes kind of just have that translate, well, let's say even say for you, stuff that you on a day to day um, brought to your locker room, which you now bring to your office, which got you to where you're at professionally speaking. The, the, the easiest one and the first one I say is outworking people, right? Because when it comes to the physical side of things, athletically, it's pretty simple when it comes to lifting weights and running. You just got to work hard. And the idea is you just mind-numbingly, stupidly just work harder than everyone else. That's the first one because I learned from a, a very early stage of Boise State. Um, it, it doesn't you, – you, you have to work hard. There's no way around it. You cannot hide from working hard. 
And also you learn to do things you don't want to do in that working hard, whether it's lifting the heavy weights, running. A lot of people don't want to do the work. And it's even more prevalent in the, in the professional world. People find any way to find comfortability or work around the tasks they have to do because they take the easy route because it's just easy. I learned to kind of push through the hard stuff head on because that's all I knew. So that's the first thing quality-wise, I say. The second thing um, is outlasting people and attrition, right? Um, when I was at Boise State, in the time that I got there to the time I left, I kept a notebook of this and this was kind of, uh, it was just a, a, again, a kind of validation thing, I guess for me too. We had 86 guys from the time I got there to the time that I left that either um, quit, uh, transferred or were basically kicked off the program. So 86 guys and to put that into perspective, uh, an active team at division one, I think it's hundred, you can have 105 or 110 guys. So in my time that I was there, we almost basically lost an entire team worth of people. Um, and they just couldn't, they either couldn't hack it mentally, they couldn't hack it physically, wherever it was. I learned from, you know, a, 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 an early age, 18, hey, you just have that last people sometimes. There was guys that didn't make it through that were probably better than me or had more talent than me, but they didn't have the mental fortitude to see it through. So that's the second thing. You have to be resilient enough to see things through. You can't let your, men, your own mental state get to you. Um, the third thing is being okay with doing work with no guarantee of a result. Right. And that's quite a profound one, at least for me anyway. And a lot of people are like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, as an athlete, I have to go and run fast and hard. I have to run till I throw up. I have to lift weights until I can barely move, you know, 300 pound hand clean anymore. There's no guarantee that that's going to have me win a game. There's no guarantee that when I go and practice for a week long and it's 100 degrees outside that we're going to win the first game of the season during fall camp, you know, all the stuff we have to do. But you do it anyway because there's a higher chance you're going, to, you're going to win a game if you kind of put your effort and you know your game plan and you're physically ready to do so. So from a real estate perspective and, and in the business world, um, I, I just use real estate because obviously that's you know where my bread and butter is now. I have to know that I can put together a listing presentation. I can get ready to go on an appointment with a buyer or a seller. And I could be okay, relatively speaking, knowing that, hey, there's no guarantee that you're gonna, they're going to sign with you or work with you. But I still need to put the effort in as if I'm going to. Because if I start to lax in it, I'm like, oh, what if I don't sign? I guess I won't go over that stuff because there's a chance they won't sign. Then I, I, I only hurt myself. You know? So those, that's, that's the third one, is, is being okay with doing work with no guarantee of the outcome that you want is the third trait that, is success, that helps, you know, athletes kind of translate into the business world, especially in sales. Is there a way to work out that muscle? Like that, that, um, I guess the, the contentment, I don't know if the word contentment is actually a good word here, but the ability to kind of work without having that guaranteed reward, is there a muscle there that you can work out? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's like an exact, an exact thing. I can't think of exact incidences, um, I think from, okay, I guess this one kind of helps. Um, and it, it goes back to accountability. Um, with, with football, um, you watch film, right? After a game, after practice, you watch film and analyze your performance to figure out what it is that you can do better to get better results the next time. So I do the same thing when it comes to when I fail at stuff um, business-wise. I go back and figure out, okay, what is it that I could have done better to get yield a better result? So I've been so used to, from an athletic standpoint, being vulnerable, watching film in front of 20 other guys in the defensive line room, knowing that you messed up and you messed up an assignment, you got, you stepped the wrong way, whatever it happens to be. I was held accountable from an early time in my career, in my football career. And that's translated into business because you learn that, hey, you can go through this and you can do this and you can see it over and over again. There's no guarantee you're going to get it right. 
But at least if you try and get it right, there's a better chance of you being successful. So yeah, I think failure, I mean, if I had to look at it just at the core, watching the film and seeing myself fail time and time again, you build that kind of mental callus, I guess. You get that mental callus that, hey, this isn't personal. Um, it's not a personal kind of, you know, indictment on you as a player. This is just a simple skill that needs to improve in order for you to have that successful result. And that's what separates, even in football, separates the good guys from the not so good guys, especially when you're talking about 18 to 22, 23 year old young men. Um, I went through um, a program where we had a very mixed background of people. You had guys from more affluent backgrounds, you had guys from not such affluent backgrounds, you had guys that had parent figures, guys that didn't have parent figures. Um, and, and your upbringing has a, a slight dictation on how you see things. We have some guys that came from broken homes or bad backgrounds that really struggled with the accountability side of things because they thought it was a personal attack on them when they failed. When they were called out for failing, they thought, oh, it's a personal attack on me. No, you're just trying to be improved as a player to help the team and get a better result. So from a business perspective, it's the same way. You've got to be accountable to when you fail. If you fail over and over again, just learn from it. Use it as a learning example. Um, and then you'll you're, answer your guaranteed success. Nothing's guaranteed. But you have a better chance of being successful if you can be accountable to those failures and learn how to do better the next time. The great thing is I feel like also in the film room, there's nowhere to hide. Like the whole team's there together watching a play and you miss a tackle. You know what I mean? You miss a block. You take the wrong route, whatever it is. There's nowhere to hide. Everybody's seeing that. There's nothing to say that you can't argue. And I think... Sometimes in business, almost it's easy to pretend that there's a way to argue because there's you're not watching it in front of the team. So you could basically come in, just tell yourself like, oh, that wasn't my fault because of this or because of that. And you're only hurting yourself, but you have a place to hide. So I feel mm -hmm. like that's also something really difficult. Yeah, exactly. Especially like you hit the nail on the head there. Um, especially if you're in like an individual situation, if you're like an individual real estate agent or um, if you're running a business with a small team, um, there's no one to kind of hold you accountable as being like a higher up. It, it, yeah, there's way more places to hide, but you'll always your circumstances will always hold you accountable in the end, no matter how that looks. Um, this sounds kind of deep, I guess, but if you think about okay, no one's going to call you out for doing the wrong thing, um, you know, on your team, or if you're on your own, you're on your own small business and you're entirely independent, no one's really hold you accountable. But what if you have a family to go home to, right? You got like a wife and children, or you have a husband and kids, or whatever your situation happens to be. They're going to hold you accountable eventually. You can hide all you want yourself, but you have to go home and reckon with someone. Um, yeah. So you have to, I think you have to identify, um, it helped to, in order to be successful, to help with the accountability, you need to identify the areas in your life that will reflect your results because they will show you where you're trending. I believe it's important to kind of find short term, I guess, ramifications, both either positive or negative to either doing or not doing the work. So I'm curious, like, if you just didn't work as hard as the guy next to you, I don't feel like there would be that short-term thing. I think the, the, the ramifications of you not working as hard as the guy next to you is either he gets your job or you don't get the starting job or whatever it is. But you almost have to have – it's it's like – like a two, as a 20-year-old kid, how could you – because most, like, 40-year-old business people have trouble thinking about the long-term ramifications, yet you're 20 years old and you're lifting weights and you're exhausted and it's just one more rep and like your coach is there telling you like, let's go one more. And if you just said, I can't, I can't do one more, like no one's going to know. But the continuation of that will possibly lead into you not getting that starter job. So I just, I may be asking the same question again, but I don't understand how a 20-year-old kid can think like that. So, you know, it's funny. I don't even know if necessarily identified the habits that I was solidifying at the time. I can't even tell you looking back that far. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I guess if I look at my freshman, sophomore year, it was, I guess it was 10. <laughs> I'm getting older than I think. I guess it was 10, 8, 10 years ago, whatever. Um, I think 
I think the accountability in the team aspect is the biggest thing that holds you accountable even when you don't want to do it because at the end of the day, no matter what your role is, your team are relying on you to do something. So I guess the team is the analogy of the wife and kids or the husband and kids, yeah. whatever it happens to be. I knew that there was a, something greater than just myself. So even if you're not going to do it for yourself, we always talked about this, even if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it to the guy next, do it for the guy next to you. And if you're yeah. not going to do it for them, you may as well leave because there's nothing that's going to motivate you. So I think the accountability of having teammates that relied on you, even if it was like scout team, right? So my first year, like as a, as a red shirt, um, I was on scout team, which meant you serviced the offense as a defensive lineman. You helped them prepare for the, 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 um, the team we were playing that week. So you'd be given certain roles or you were assigned to be that particular guy. You just do the role you best, you do the role you're given the best you can because that's the job that's given to you there in the moment. Again, it's talking about thinking too far ahead, right? It doesn't matter what the role is that you have, just excel in it and hold yourself accountable to do the best for the, the people that, are, that need you. So that, that was kind of what I learned, I think, from the team aspect at least. So. You ever have it like like some days where you don't want to just go to work almost? And like when you do have those days, is it ever a thought for you to just not show up or do you do it anyway? I do it anyway, especially now. I mean, it was a lot easier to negotiate with myself to not show up when I was an individual agent, right? And and that was only three and a bit years ago. Now as a as designated broker and owner of a brokerage with a lot of clients, I got I have uh three full-time W2 staff members. I have an intern and then I have two other agents. So I have seven people um that need me to 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 show up. And again that harkens back to the the team aspect from football, right? I can't just not show up because I don't want to lift weights today. There's plenty of times where I don't want to show up. Trust me. There's plenty of times I was like, I forget this. I do not want to be out there today. But I had to show up because my teammates were relying on me. And, and now that I have that in place where I have staff members and I have agents that rely on me to be here, I can't skip it. But yes, that being said, trust me, even as much relative success as I have now, there are days, if I'm, if I'm lucky, I can go a couple of weeks with it. But honestly, there's a, probably a day a week where I'm like, I don't really want to be here. I'm dealing with, dealing with a problem I don't want to have to deal with. Um, I don't want to have to show up but I kind of need to. And then you have to just shift that mindset, right? It's like, yeah, what is, you have to become hyper self-aware to be a successful person. You have to be very aware of your emotional response so that you can give good logical responses to emotions. So I have to learn to detach and identify on my head when I'm having an emotional response that is making me not want to do something. And then you have to kind of ground yourself and figure out, okay, you're feeling upset about whatever it is, identify whatever the issue is and understand what it is you need to get through to, for that to be you know, a success to get over that. Or what is it you need to do to hold yourself accountable to understand, yeah, you're feeling a certain way, but this behavior needs to change. Otherwise, there is a knock-on effect. So it's all about being self-aware and learning how to rechannel that energy, you know? There's a lot that you're saying there that I really resonate with, particularly, um, well, first off, is the uh, is, is the self-introspection, the ability to self-introspect. I, because I, I mean, I said this because you were in Austin with me also. I said this during the presentation is self-introspection is one of the foundations, I think, of growth. Because if you can't acknowledge any of your shortcomings, you'll never grow, right? And it's very easy. Anybody can defer blame to somebody else whenever they want. It's That's the easy stuff. The hard stuff is to take the blame or to take the accountability when there is blame to be assigned. Because at the end of the day, you have to take accountability for everything, which is another thing that you mentioned. Um, and then the other thing that I think is, is you've said this a couple of times. I like, I hate hustle culture. I hate the idea of suggesting that you have to work for 18, 20 hours a day and not live, breathe, eat, do anything except for work, 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 work to be successful. Because from my experiences, it's just not true. So somebody might say, yeah, well, you would have been more successful quicker if you would have worked like, 
I don't know, but I'm happy with my life. I'm happy with the amount that I work. I'm happy with where my business is at and I'm happy where it's, where it's going to go. And to hear you, guy who played football at the highest level for your age group, right? It's simple. Just show up and do the work. It's very difficult, but it's very simple. Just show up. You don't have to like spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours past the time. That's just show up at the allotted time. Do the work for the allotted time. Yeah, maybe show up a little bit early, leave a little bit late, whatever it is, but just do the work. That's a very important point. Um, there's plenty of guys in business that I know that, that that do kind of promote hustle culture. And I think it's a really uh, uh, not, not, so, not like tough subject. I think it's a very subjective subject and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, you know, I like to do this way, I do it that way. Not everyone's way to work is necessarily the right way. There is a time to hustle. Don't get me wrong. There is a time where you're going to have to grind. There is no way around certain issues where you're going to have to put in an 18, 20 hour day, right? But it's all about, it's cliche, it's all about working more efficiently and smarter, right? So just like you said, at Boise State, yeah, I had to do a, a lot of weightlifting and a bunch of you know crazy stuff we had to do, but it was only for defined periods of time. And the main thing that I took away from my experience there was you don't need to work to run and lift weights for 10 hours a day. You need to do it for two or three, but do it to the absolute best of your ability because you can walk away mentally feeling better about what you did versus just hustling for 10 hours and half, you know, half assing basically your entire workout. Wouldn't you rather just do two or three hours of hard work and call it good and feel better? Same way with business. You'll just burn yourself out. If you work 20 hours a day, every single day, not only will you burn yourself out from doing so, but it's really not the most efficient way to do things. It, most businesses, right, can be leveraged. You, you know, you talk about leveraging and, um, you talk about scaling everything, right? You can't scale if you're the guy that hustles and does 20 hours a day. You know that it's inefficient. You need to bring someone else in to do those tasks to take it away from you. Um, so yeah, don't get me wrong. Definitely, Oliver, you do have to work hard. And there are days where it's going to require you 10, 20, 30 hours more than you were expecting to do. But generally speaking, you have to find that perfect bell curve, right? So how much effort am I putting in for the result I'm yielding? And there's a certain point where you go too far along, you're going you're gonna to basically get negative results, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. So just to kind of get into the psyche, because success from my limited experience, although we're basically the same, what type, what year did you graduate? 2011, 2010? I, I graduated, I graduated high school in England in 2011. Okay. So I, I believe it will be the same year. So I think we graduated the same year. So for all intents and purposes, we're the same age. So in my limited understanding of what it means to be successful, there's a lot of kind of, it's like an iceberg. It's like the tip of the iceberg is what you see, but there's a lot of stuff underneath it. But then there is a moment where something happens and you're like, oh, wow, this is the accumulation that I've been waiting for so dang long for. And uh, in Atomic Habits, one of the examples he gives is like, if you um, um, set a room to, let's say, 30, like 40 degrees, water won't freeze. And then, and then 39, 38, it won't freeze. But then all of a sudden, when it goes from 33 to 32, you won't feel the difference, but the water will freeze at that point in time. And that's really what business is like. So, but like I said, there is that moment where you realize like, oh damn, look how far I've come. So was there a play, let's say on the field in particular, and I'm sorry to kind of keep on going back to football, no, but that's, I think that's the fascinating story there is how that's translated because there are plenty of successful real estate agents uh, or real estate business owners, but the way that you've done it, your story, was there any moment on the field that you're like, like in front of 80,000 people, because that happened. You told me you played in, in, in one of the balls in front of 80,000 people. Like anything there? Um, it's hard to it's hard to think about exact plays, I guess, because they do accumulate over time. Um, 
That's tough, man. Yeah, I played in I played in a Fiesta Bowl. I played against SEC teams. I mean, all, all across the way. I guess one of my most satisfying games, I guess, was against BYU. So Brigham Young, we Boise State. They're not in our conference, but we play BYU every year. It's a rivalry game. And I remember, I, I someone can probably fact check me on this. In that one game, as a defensive lineman, I had I think it was like fourteen tackles and two sacks and like two TFLs. Which for a defense alignment, as you can imagine, I mean, yeah. anyone knows football, that's not easy. Uh, we spend a lot of time, especially playing, you know, inside and outside. You get spend a lot of time getting double teamed and you're not you're really a glory person. You're kind of helping the linebackers out. So, yeah, I remember that particular game. Uh, it was a home game. It was Taysom Hill that we played against. Sacked him twice. Taysom Hill's now a quarterback for the uh, New Orleans Saints and has, you know, been there for several years now and does quite well for himself. Um, that was definitely a moment, although it was in my senior year, um, I look back at that and I was like, this feels like I put together a body of work that I can kind of be proud of. I was able to influence this game. We won it by one point, I think it was. And I know that my performance directly impacted that game. There's a few other things in, in you know, different games and all plays, but that was one kind of complete game that definitely, I mean, just to put it in perspective, by my senior year, I was kind of figuring out, okay, what do I want to do after football? Do I want to keep playing football? Do I want to take, take on business? Do I want to go back to rugby? Uh, what do I want to do? And that definitely was one of those games that helped me feel satisfied in shutting the book on my football career. Because I was like, you know what? You've done something here. You didn't just come along for the ride and hang out. You actually had an, an influence. You were a good player and you, you helped this program overall. That was a poignant moment for me, I think. That's awesome. Those, I don't, 14 tackles. That does sound like, again, I, I, I know more about NCAA basketball and its relation to NBA basketball than NCAA football and NFL football. However, if to correct me if I'm wrong, if somebody gets 14 footballs in an NFL game, that's like let's say unheard of, but it's crazy, right? Yeah, that's that's top. Yeah, to get not to get 14 to get double figure tackles, it's not uncommon for linebackers or safeties because of just how the game is played. As a defensive lineman, you disrupt stuff to allow linebackers and safeties to kind of do that kind of stuff. So yeah, that was it was a pretty good game for me. I think yeah. So do you have like an extra ability to kind of spot the ones that are going to be successful? The ones that you say, I want you on my team in real estate because you know how to, I guess, identify who's going to be willing to work harder. Is there no way to say, tell that until? So as of right now, we have a, a somewhat unique situation here because I, although I'm the designated broker, I account for probably 85 plus percent of the business that we do. Um, I'm still very well, relatively fresh, young and hungry. So I'm okay to hustle. We have two other agents that, that do sell um, that I've kind of brought up along over the, this kind of period of time here. Um, but I do have, like I said, three full-time support staff. So we have uh, operations manager and transaction coordinator, a marketing director, and then a creative producer. His name's Kyle. He does just video and social media for us. And he started uh, last week. But the common theme whenever I've had guys join this team and I've hired them on, the biggest thing is, <laughs> is actually personality. So... I've had plenty of people for the different roles I've interviewed maybe had a better skill set, but their their personality and their fit culture-wise would have been detrimental overall, which would have meant the end result probably wouldn't have been as good because they didn't quite understand the way we wanted to do things. So the biggest thing is character. I look at character. How does someone's character um, kind of shine through? Because the character in the hard times when you have you know a hard task or whatever happens to be the character, generally speaking, reveals how hard some more work to get through those things. All right. So I kind of want to bring it around full circle to you a little bit now, just to kind of end on a nice touch. Um, 
what do you want to be remembered for? I think I've spoken about this before on a business perspective. I want to be known for uh, making the standards of our industry better, but bigger than that, because at the end of the day, that's just one small thing. Real estate, it, don't get me wrong, it's a, it's a big deal for me because it's the main part of my life business-wise. Um, no one really cares about the grand scheme of things, the industry at all. The biggest thing I want to be known for, and not from a selfish perspective, but more because it influences others, is I want to be one of those people that when someone has a conversation with them, someone talks to them and sits down, that other human being walks away feeling better about themselves for having that conversation. It doesn't mean blowing smoke up someone and saying, hey, you're the best thing ever. It means being able to have a genuine conversation, genuine relationships, and that person can walk away saying, hey, I enjoy being with that human being. I feel better about my day. That would be what I want to be remembered as, to help other people in that regard. So what's the next step for you in order to make that happen for you? Have you kind of planned that out? I think it's the way you live day to day because it manifests itself, right? If you take care of people and you're nice to them and you help them where you can, not expecting anything in return, yeah. whatever those extrinsic things, whether it's material, whatever it happens to be, will come back to you in the end. Um, so yeah, I don't have, it's funny because I don't have like a big goal where it's like, I want to become Jeff Bezos and own a yacht and all that kind of stuff because that's not, that doesn't really transcend, right? It's, it's material things or material um, like accolades. How you leave other people feeling is more important because that transcends forever if you take care of the right people. Right. Okay. Elliot, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, just before I do let you go, if you wouldn't mind telling everybody listening to this or watching this, uh, how can people find you? So I'm pretty active on Instagram. That's probably the best way to get hold of me. So my Instagram username is Elliot, that's E-L-L-I-O-T underscore H-O-Y-T-E, Elliot underscore Hoyt. Um, and, and yeah, if you anyone is listening to this and wants to reach out and send me a message, I'd be more than happy to get back to you. If you're looking to scale up your real estate business, you need to check out Innovox. We believe that with the right tools and coaching, anyone can succeed in this business. That's why we created Innovox, a CRM and marketing suite to automate your lead generation and lead nurture, along with a coaching to help you scale. We follow a three-part framework of brand, automate, and scale to build a real estate business that makes more money and requires less of your time. Our goal is to help you succeed in this competitive industry so that you can focus on what you do best, helping people find their dream homes. So if you're ready to level up your real estate business through systems, processes, and automated lead generation and lead nurture, book a time to talk at goinabox.com slash demo. That's goinabox.com slash demo.